morning. It's a good day at Orangeburg. They took in three new members. It's a good day for Orangeburg. Uh, it was awesome getting to see our presbyter there and uh, inducting those three new members. They did have BGMC, and they've taken on our practice of throwing change in the floor and there's a little girl down there just tickled to death that she got to beat her uncle and just uh, excited her so it was a good day for doing that uh, if you have your bibles let's turn to leviticus chapter 23 and we're going to look um, at the feast of weeks it's verses 15 through uh, down through a little ways. So let's stand as we read Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15. You are to count seven complete weeks starting from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of presenting offering. You are to count 50 days until the day after the Sabbath, Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your settlements. As a presentation offering, each of them made from your four quarts of fine flour baked with yeast as first fruits to the Lord. You are to present with bread seven unblemished male lambs, a year old, one young bull, and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord with the grain offerings and drink offerings, a fire offering of pleasing aroma to the Lord. You are also to prepare one male goat as a sin offering and two male lambs as a year old as a fellowship sacrifice. The priest will wave the lambs with the bread of first fruits as a presentation offering before the Lord. The bread and the two lambs will be holy to the Lord for the priest. On the same day, you will make a proclamation at a holy assembly. You're not to do any work. Look at your neighbor and say, quit working. Wouldn't that be nice? Just be able to quit working. Just quit working. This is to be a permanent statute wherever you shall live throughout generations. When you will reap the harvest of your land, you're not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I'm the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for holidays, for those seasons, God, where that you are uh, in our midst and, Lord, where we can remember you. In our country that we live, God, we celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving and all these other holidays where families meet together. And, Lord, we thank you today for families. Thank you for what you mean to us today and that you've welcomed us into your family. And, God, we pray today, Lord, that your feast that you have established in your word would come alive in us. And, God, you would let us understand things, Lord, that maybe we've uh, not fully understood before. And, Lord, that you would give us understanding and that you would allow our eyes to be opened. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. I love it in this verse that we read about that last week we was looking at the first fruit offerings where that they would wave the offerings. Of the first fruit, it was the barley harvest. It was uh, just right after um, the Sabbath for Passover and how that uh, last week we studied about the three different feasts the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. And that was the barley harvest, where that they would bring their first fruits of the barley harvest in uh, during that season, and they would wave it before the Lord as a holy offering to God. And how the, that uh, symbolizes in us today that we are to bring our first fruits to the Lord. Amen. 
the first fruits of all we have and give to him. And we know this in the, in the remainder of the, of the Bible and then even in the New Testament that it talks about the tithe of the Lord and how that we are to tithe uh, the first fruits of our offerings. And we should wave them before the Lord saying that they are holy for him because they're his. Amen? The tithe is the Lord's. And the Bible says in Malachi to bring your tithe in the storehouse that the storehouse may be full and it can feed those that are in need. And that was a, a purpose that God had done, and it's all throughout the New Testament. You can find it in Hebrews. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. There's multiple places in the New Testament that talks about the tithe. Some people in church say the tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament. Well, apparently they've never read it. Amen? The tithe is there. It's present in the New Testament. But as they would do this, the Jewish feast, it was a holy days, a sacred assembly, and there was three different feasts of the year where that they would bring and the people of God would come to Jerusalem for these feasts. One was Passover, and the next one is this one that we're talking about today. It's the Feast of Weeks. Look at your neighbor and say the Feast of Weeks. Wouldn't you love to have a holiday that lasts for seven weeks? Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be the best holiday ever, wouldn't it? That'd be, uh, join me up. Where do, I, where do I sign? I want that in my uh, contractual agreement for my employment. Uh, we got uh, uh, Ollie, uh, manage, Aldi's manager back here. I said Ollie because I've been saying it all week. But Aldi's manager back here, so she's a store manager. Could you imagine somebody having seven weeks of holidays? Wouldn't that be awesome? Just to let everybody else off, and I guess you do all the work. I don't know. It, that wouldn't be good. So it's the Feast of Weeks. It's seven weeks. And uh, in today's terminology or the day's world, we would know this as the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost. It's the Feast of Weeks. And it tells us very specifically that from the Passover, you count seven weeks. Everybody knows how many days are in a week, right? How many days are in a week? Seven. So seven times seven for the mathematicians here. How many is that? Forty-nine. So 49 days. And we know, according to what we've been studying about Holy Day so far, that Jewish uh, days begin at sundown. So after the 49 days were complete, on the 50th day, at sundown, that evening of the 49th day, the sundown when the next new day begins, the 50th day, that is a day known as Pentecost. It's 50 days later than Passover. So in today's world where we live in America, and if you heard somebody say, well, they are a Pentecostal. Anybody ever heard that word? Pentecostal. They call certain churches Pentecostal churches. You know what that means. What do they call those churches? Holy Rollers. Right? They call them holy rollers. They call them, you know, the babblers. They call them, there's all these terms that they throw out for, for the Pentecostal people. But really the word Pentecost means 50, penta, 50 days later after Pentecost. So if you want to know who, Pentecost, who is Pentecostal in the church world today, if you go back and study church history, everybody, that any church you go to will point to the day the church was birthed as Acts chapter 2. I don't care if you go to a Christian church, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a Catholic church. All the churches globally count back to the day of Pentecost being the birthday of the church. It's Acts chapter 2. It's where the Holy Spirit come and dwelled the believer. When the, whole, when the disciples were in the upper room, we know the story, right? That on Passover, we know Jesus died. Three days later, he raised again, didn't he? He come out of the grave, victorious over death, held in the grave. And then the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that he walked around for 40 days. I think this would be cool. You see, Jesus walked around with his disciples for three and a half years teaching them. And it's pretty cool to have a disciple. Has anybody in here ever had a disciple? Have you ever discipled anyone? 
I'll put it to you this way. You cannot be a Christian because the word Christian means to be Christ-like. What did Jesus do when he was here? He discipled people. If you're not discipling any people, you better doubt your Christianity. Whoa. Look at your neighbor and say, how Christian are you? <laughs> if you want to be a Christian, you have to disciple. It's a mandate. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, tell them about it, and tell them the things that I've done. Disciple them. Make disciples of all nations. So if we don't, if we don't obey the very command that Jesus gave, Amen. Woe be unto us. If Jesus would come back today and he would ask, okay, I want to see how Christian you are and I'm going to base it on whether you was discipling anybody or not, and we would all be in trouble. Amen? Everybody in this room, myself included. I feel like I'm discipling the church body right now. I'm supposed to be discipling you. I'm supposed to, a disciple means somebody that's learning from somebody else. So I don't care where you're at in your Christianity. There's somebody in your touch or in your, within your reach that you can talk to about something they don't know that you know. That's discipling. So if Greg owns his shop up in, in Quincy and he opens the door and people walk in his shop and sits down there. I've went and done it. I don't know how many times that they've got a bunch of little chairs sitting there. You go in and you sit down in a chair and you'll start talking. The conversation's going. Next thing you know, it'll get on religious. Amen. If you're sitting around in a crowd for very long, you're going to talk about politics and you're going to talk about religion. That just it's automatically it's going to happen. So you sit down in there, they get on politics and they go and everybody's got their own pick of who they want and all the, all this. And then next thing you know, they'll say, "Well, well, what's the Bible say?" How I many knows that would be a good one? To, that, that's where you need to know the Bible. Well, what's the Bible say? So then you need to be able to tell somebody and explain to somebody. And I've got to witness Greg do it thousands of times. Some young person sitting in there that don't go to church, they know and raised in church, knows nothing about church, knows nothing about Christianity, sit down at a chair in a business and hear what the Bible says. That's called discipleship. It's one of our core values as a church that we believe in discipleship. It's one of the five core values of Bethesda that we say that we are discipleship motivated. Debo. Everybody give D a big hand. <laughs> Amen. That's a disciple right there, one that remembers that. Discipleship motivated. Are you motivated by discipleship? There's nothing more empowering for a Christian believer to get to explain somebody something from the Scripture and get to see their eyes light up and their imagination broaden because of something they're hearing you say. If you've never discipled anybody, if you've never told anybody about the Jesus in your life or the Jesus that has saved you from the pits of hell, you've never experienced it. But I'm telling you, it's addictive. It's worse than cocaine. If you will get addicted to being a discipler of people that's hurting, that's undone without God, it's an addiction you've never known. I've witnessed people get on fire with God before. I just spit everywhere. It's because I had a lifesaver one of the things a while ago. Mints. Because I felt sorry for you. But I've seen people get addicted to discipleship before. They, they, they've got addicted that they couldn't, they couldn't hold their mouth shut any longer, that they had to tell everybody they come in contact what Jesus has done for them. This Feast of Pentecost was the very foundational point, the action step of where that Peter was afraid for his life. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that they were in that upper room and the door was locked. 
They were afraid of the Jews. It says they were afraid of the Jews. Afraid to come out and witness for Jesus because of something that the Jewish people were going to crucify them just like they did Jesus. Here in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Amen? You will receive power. So the same Peter that was afraid, holed up in the room behind a locked door, now they're out in the middle of the streets telling everybody about what Jesus did in their life. Everybody say, that's empowerment. That's something where that you're discipling. Amen. They were out in the street telling strangers from all over Israel that had come into Jerusalem for this Feast of Weeks, the day of Pentecost. People from all over nations, all, over the, all around Rome, had come to, to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And Peter's out there in the middle of the street saying, This same Jesus that you crucified arose from the dead. He arose from the dead. I got to walk and talk with him for 40 days. Guess what Jesus was doing during those 40 days? Anybody got a good guess? He was discipling people. He went to, his two, to the two that was walking up the road that was heading out of Jerusalem, and he went up to them, and he talked to them, the two people, you remember? And they didn't even know who he was. The resurrected Jesus is different than the crucified Jesus. Amen? The resurrected Jesus is an empowered Jesus. And he got to witness to them. And their eyes become open and they realized that they were talking to God and he was vanished away. They didn't see him no more. But they went away rejoicing because they had an experience with Jesus. Have you had an experience with the crucified Christ? The risen Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Have you had an experience with him where that he renewed your heart? He renewed your mind? He strengthened you? Has he discipled you? Has he showed you the error of your way? Mary's the only one, apparently. Is there anybody in this room that Jesus has ever told you, you're wrong? You're messed up. <laughs> if you haven't experienced that, you need to. You better start praying, God, show me my ways are wrong because my ways are not your ways. I guarantee you that. We're, our carnal nature is enmity with God. That means hatred towards God, Romans says. So this resurrected Jesus walking around talking with people, and he went back, and, and Peter, James, and John had went, back, went back and was fishing. And Jesus walks up there on the, the Sea of Galilee on the shore. They're out in the boat in the water because they went back to doing what they had done before he ever discipled them. You see, this is the difference from the empowered Jesus Versus the pre-crucified Jesus. They walked three and a half years with the Mikey. And apparently never learned nothing. Because he went right back to doing the same thing they was doing when he died. Peter, James, and John went back to Galilee and went fishing. But can I tell you something? Jesus cares so much about you. No matter how many times you've returned back to your old ways, he's always going to come back and find you. There should have been a better amen than that. The crucified Jesus will always come find you no matter how many times you return to your old ways. These, these fishermen out fishing in a boat, and Jesus walks up and it says he was baking cakes. How many likes cake? Amen, I like cake. 
Here's one of the things about Pentecost. This Pentecost feast, this feast here, is, is they eat dairy. So it, it, was, it was customary for them to eat dairy products for a Jew. Even still today, Jewish people still eat dairy products on the Feast of Pentecost. Every feast has a different thing. Next week, we're going to have a good, good little uh, snack for you. We'll have a good, good feast, okay? We're going to start eating what they would eat. So this week, I wish I would have been able to do it early enough, but there's too much going on with Thanksgiving. You probably already had some of it. So a dairy product that Jewish people still make today is cheesecake. How many likes cheesecake? Amen? That'll make you get out of your boat and jump in the water and swim to the shore. The Bible says that Jesus was there making cakes. I think he was making cheesecake. Amen. Cheesecake will make you jump out of your boat and say, Jesus, I'm coming home. Amen. Leslie called me and said, man, I've got some cheesecake. I like plain cheesecake. I don't like it with all that junk all over it, covering up all the good taste. I don't like cherries and strawberries and all that different gum on top. Just give me a good old-fashioned slab of cheesecake. Amen. That's good stuff. I'll just eat it, and it'll get stuck to the roof of my mouth, and I'll keep shoveling it in. I can't, I can't quit. I love that stuff. Cheesecake is awesome. Look at your neighbor and say, I love cheesecake. And Jesus is a perfecter of things. Amen? Can you imagine eating some of Jesus' cheesecake? Lord have mercy. It couldn't get any better than that. So here Jesus is baking these cakes, and it says that Peter jumped out of the boat. How many think that's dumb? If your boat's out in the water, why not just oar it to the bank? That way you still got a boat, right? You know the best thing to do with your sin? Leave it behind out in the water somewhere and don't worry about that no more. Don't go back to fishing. When Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, don't go back to fishing for fish. Amen? Let him change your life. Let him rearrange your life. Get out of your boat and swim to the shore and say, this is a feast. Amen? I feel like eating some cheesecake. Amen? I'm going to swim to the shore and I'm going to eat some of Jesus' cheesecake. It's going to be a brand new day. This is going to be the best feast I've ever had, the Feast of Weeks. And the disciples were not idiots. They were Jewish by birth. They had lived this their whole life. Every year of their life, they traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost. When was the last time you traveled an unknown distance? Now, I'm talking about some of them was 90 miles away, 100 miles away from Jerusalem, Greg, and walked for the Feast of Pentecost because they wanted more of God. When was the last time you had a hunger for God? Not a hunger in your belly like mine's getting ready to growl right now. I'm thinking about this cheesecake. It's got me tore up. I feel like my belly's going to growl. I had a honey bun this morning, but it ain't doing it right now. When was the last time you was hungry for God? These disciples jumped out of that boat, swam to the shore. For 40 days, Jesus walked and talked with them and discipled them. What I would give for a 40-day discipleship from Jesus. What kind of questions would you ask him? What would you say if you had 40 days for Jesus to teach you directly? What questions can you come up with? God, is this right? Is that right? Should I do this? Should I not do that? 
feel like this is okay, God, but is it really? I think we'd all get lined up. Amen? So as Jesus is discipling these people, he was changing their mind. Now the next thing you know, it comes down to the Feast of Pentecost. These Feast of Weeks, it's where the wheat finally grows up and becomes white. Remember the story where Jesus was walking through the field, right? He said, look at these fields. They're white unto harvest. He said, because the humanity is ripe unto harvest. There's a season for everything. These feasts that we're studying about is all about seasons in life. And it always goes back to the harvest. And I believe that God is in the harvest mode right now. I believe we're in a season of harvest. And I believe if there's people in this room, if you'll hear what I'm saying today and begin to disciple somebody, how many people's here? 46? 46 people. If everybody here discipled one person, just one person, before Christmas, be at 92 people. That's how important it is. Who's your disciple? Who are you pointing towards Jesus? This Pentecost thing, don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Because we all need an experience with Jesus. Amen? We all need an experience with Jesus. And this same thing I was telling you about 40 days of discipleship with Jesus. What if I tell you right now that Jesus said, I won't go away and leave you comfortless. But I will send the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you all things. He will teach you and instruct you. And even call to remembrance all things that I've instructed you. I can tell you right now, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm telling you, if you'll get on your knees, if you will pray and seek God, and if you will say, God, I really need some answers in my life, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will disciple you like you've never been discipled before. You'll receive so much instruction. You'll, see, you'll receive so much revelation. Amen? The rhema, the word of God, the word of God that's alive. I don't want you just reading your Bible to read your Bible. I want you to read Le through Leviticus chapter 23 and the pages come alive and jump off the page at your face. Because if you knew what these feasts meant, it would empower us. It would embolden us. In this Acts chapter 2 experience, when Peter and them was in the upper room and the Holy Spirit come upon them, it was the same way because Pentecost is actually a picture of uh, Mount Sinai. The reason it took weeks, seven weeks, is because that was their journey. From Passover, when in Egypt, we learned about last week, Passover, when God passed over their house and they come out of Egypt, from that time until they crossed the Red Sea with unleavened bread, and then it took them, it was seven weeks from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And that was the first time in history that a written word of God was given to man. Mount Sinai was a picture, God's law given to man. The reason they have this feast of, of Pentecost is to celebrate that we now have the written law of God. We don't have to go on conscience sake like Adam and Eve. You know what Adam and Eve got, right, when they ate? What tree did they eat of? Knowledge of truth, the tree, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. 
so they had a conscience. They knew what good, right was from wrong. But some people, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it is, it says that people's conscience can be seared with a hot iron. How many know something that's, some people that says stuff so much that they begin to believe it? Amen. They, they'll say it over and over and over again, and eventually they come and they say it so much they start believing it. They, they're like, yeah, that's true now. I've, I've said it enough now. It, it becomes real in my mind that I really believe that's the way it is. And we do, our, we, we do that to ourselves with sin. The same sin over and over and over again, and, and eventually you'll be, begin to declare, I think, I think that's probably okay with God. He, he, he lets me buy with that. It's okay. I, I don't think God's going to care about that one. I don't think. It ain't what you think. It's what does he say. I was hoping I was in a church that believed in the Bible or something. I said, it ain't what you think. It's what he says. This is the truth. We can become seared with a hot iron our conscience where we don't even know good from evil anymore. Because we dabble in sin over and over and over again, and it becomes that it's okay. Amen. But it's the, it's the picture that the law was given where that it wasn't what each man, each man would say or each woman would say. It wasn't about who thought what was right and what was wrong and it was okay or that would be okay or that wouldn't. This was where God gave his first books of the Bible, the five books of the Bible, to Moses at Mount Sinai and said, This is my law and go tell it to my people. It's not just the Ten Commandments. I think there's 613. We all stand up, well, I believe in the Ten Commandments. I'm gonna, we need to fight for the Ten Commandments, beat out the courthouse. How about 613? That's how many's written in here. I'm glad we don't have to go by all of them. Talked to them about them last week, ones that tell you not to shave, different stuff. There's, there's some, you read Leviticus, it's scary. Gory, really. But Mount Sinai was the experience where God spoke to man. And some things happened. When Moses went up on the mountain, the people of God looked down from the bottom, and they looked up, and they said, well, okay, Moses is up there. He's been gone forever. And we look up on top of the mountain, they see fire, don't they? And they hear, they hear God's voice, and it says it's the voice of, as of many waters. The wind is present. So if we come over to Acts chapter 2, we'll see the same exact picture. It's some children of God in an upper room experience, saying, what's going on? We, we, we desire God to write his law in our hearts now, New Testament, amen? And as they're on this Acts chapter 2 experience in the upper room, as they're looking, and the Bible says there was a, a wind, a mighty rushing wind come through the house and filled the whole place where they sit. The wind represents the voice of God, the proclamation of God. And it says now that not was there a fire over top of the mountain, but a fire set upon each of them. Amen? Acts chapter 2. Now a fire sets It's symbolic of Mount Sinai. Pentecost is always celebration of what God has said. Always. And today the church makes it out to be, well, that's the holy rollers, or that's that bunch that wear long dress, or that's the ones with long hair, or that's the Pentecostal. I'll tell you who's Pentecostal. is everybody that believes in Jesus Christ, that he was dead, buried, and raised again, and he's returning someday in a glorious fashion for his church. The church is Pentecostal. Amen. I believe that. It's not an experience of something that I got it and you don't. If you're a blood-washed, bought, redeemed human that Jesus has empowered your life, you are Pentecostal. 
true. It's symbolic because of the Feast of Pentecost. And God doesn't lay anything waste. On the day of Pentecost is when it happened. On the Feast of Pentecost even. All these feasts are symbolic and pictures of what Jesus has already done. This is the one is where we're, we're waiting on the next one. The next is the Feast of the Trumpet. That's the one we're waiting on. You know what the trumpet of God is symbolic of or that, that picture of the Feast of the Trumpet? We'll learn next week. We're waiting. But in between the waiting, he empowered us. In between the time of waiting in the harvest, the Feast of the Harvest, these holy days that we're reading about, we're on Pentecost right now. And on the Pentecost was where God gave his law to humanity. But now it just isn't law that's written on pages. Jesus said, I, when I send the Holy Spirit, and he makes this comfort, and he comes to you, and he, he will engraft my word on your heart. Because Jews, you ever see Jews over at the Wailing Wall, they'll have a little black box stuck on their head? It's because it says in Leviticus to bind these to your head. They've actually got the word of God, the Torah, written on a little bitty tablet, and they have it on this, in this box on their head. Because Jesus said, I want it in front of you. He tells them to write it on, on, your, on your hand. And, and they got these little things, and they got these things called phylacteries, and they, they wrap it around their arms, and, and they, they, they have so many wraps, seven wraps for perfection, and all this different stuff. And you watch all these Jews. They do all these things to perfection because they don't want to leave one dot or tittle out of the Torah. They want to do it all. Jewish people are dedicated people. They're determined people. And they don't want to miss any of it. And we as Christians today, the, the society and culture we live in, we think it's okay just to be a Christian because we had one experience in life and say, okay, God, you saved me. Now I'm just going to go on doing whatever I want to do and, and living like I want to live and saying what I want to say and doing what I want to do. And, and someday I'll meet you in heaven, Jesus. When he's saying, I need some disciples like the Jewish people that will have a determination. And I'm not telling you to go get a box and tape it to your head. I'm glad we don't have to do that. Amen? I'm glad that we don't have to wrap our arms and wake up every morning with a certain ritualistic prayer that now we can pray openly and just say whatever we feel with God and He will answer us. It tells us to write it on the doorpost of our, of our home. Do, do you have the Word of God written, the Torah written around the doorpost on your home? That's one of the laws in Leviticus. Because God thought, if I can get them to do it enough, maybe it'll come repetitive and maybe they'll read it and understand it. But Mount Sinai didn't work. The children of Israel needed something new. God said, I'll write it on your heart. I ain't going to write it on your doorpost this time. I'm not going to tell you to write it and put it on a little box on your head. I'm not going to tell you to wrap your arm with a certain ribbon every day so that it becomes repetitive and it's written on the outside. I want it written on the inside. King David said it best. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. If you're tired of sin, if your conscience is still working, there, there, are some, there are some scriptures that talk about stuff like this. It's called a reprobate mind. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about people that, that will not listen to God or take heed to what God's word said and over and over and over again throughout their life, they just refuse it. 
Your conscience becomes seared with hot iron. You don't even have any feelings anymore. You see people that's burnt really, really bad? It kills the nerves. People that have severe burns, they burn so bad, it'll burn their nerves and they can't even touch and feel anything anymore. Same way with us. Where we disobey to God and disobey God and say God next time and just farther down the road and someday when I get old and gray-headed, then I'll do it. I thank God that he, he is long-suffering towards us. Uncle Roy, how old was he, Mom? He was in his 70s or 80s when he got saved. He was well up in years. Still come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Still gave his heart to God. Went on to be with Jesus. I'm praying again to meet him in heaven someday. The reason we throw change on the floor is because Uncle Roy. He done that with us. He's in his 70s before he got saved. Don't wait that long. People every day that die a lot longer than what even people in this room. Even you're 16, got your permit, yeah, life, whoop. Mark, why you look so downcast? You get your permit? Oh, man, what? You let a girl beat you? It's like we're doing BGMC, that way we get used to it. It's okay, you'll get them. There's kids everywhere. and we've I've heard, you know, the stories that's going on in our community right now, the little girl Greg Cooper, little girl, missing part of her leg because of cancer, her foot. Another little girl at Central right now, battling cancer. Little young babies. They'd trade prices with you in a minute there. Don't take life for granted. Live it for God and make some disciples. Because heaven needs people. People that you come in contact with. Amen? Jesus, a Pentecostal person will be a person that disciples. That's what I want you to understand from this message. If you don't get nothing else from this, remember this, that Pentecostal people, Christian people, disciple people. And when Peter preached that first sermon that day, he didn't, he didn't come from a school of theology. He didn't go to a seminary. He stood up and said, this same Jesus that you crucified has awakened my heart. And I believe today that he has given me a gift, and I'm going to tell you about it. It's the gift of new life. And when Peter, Peter preached that message, the Bible says that 3,000 were added to them that day. 3,000 first sermon got 3,000 people. Ain't that amazing? What if you've been afraid and you sit in a break room or you sit at your job or you sit back in your house and you never go and disciple anybody and you're just working off of fear. The Bible says that God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Timothy, it says, but he gave us power, love, and a sound mind. What if your first sermon, 3,000 people would get saved? What if you're the next Billy Graham? What if you're the next Reinhard Bonnke? It takes off for a foreign country from Germany and heads into Africa and millions upon millions get saved. What if? What if God's dream for you is bigger than you even know?
John, what if God's called you? What if? Don't think I can't. Because with God, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, God changed my life. If you told me when I was 16, I was going to be pastoring, you're crazy. Ain't going to happen. I ain't standing up in front of people and saying nothing. I wouldn't do it. But when we yield to what God says, great things happen. And I'm just praying that there's somebody in this room will yield to God. Let's all stand. here just bow your head close your eyes if you will I want everybody here just to pray this very simple prayer and say Holy Spirit speak to me make Pentecost real to me I pray that God you would awaken my heart that you would engraft your word on the tablets of my heart. Change my life from the inside out. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Amen. I just want us to pray for dreams. I want you to pray for discipleship right now. I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lay somebody on your heart today. That he would lay somebody on your heart that you could begin to disciple. And when, I, when I'm telling you to disciple somebody, I don't want you to think that this is somebody that's going to be made perfect overnight. Because Jesus worked with his disciples for three and a half years. Peter cussed the day before Jesus died. After three and a half years of discipleship, Jesus didn't give up on him. He discipled him. I want you to even dream big, bigger than some people that you think, I don't think they would ever get saved. If that's somebody that's on your heart today and you just think, I don't see how that'd be possible, I want to tell you that the Bible is full of people just like that. The impossible with God, with man, is possible with God. So whoever God lays on your heart today, I pray, I want you to begin to pray for them right now. That God would empower you to begin to disciple somebody. Won't you just open up your mouth and begin to pray right now. God, whoever it is, Lord, that you're laying on the hearts of these people in this room, God, I pray that you would empower them today to be, become disciples, God. Lord, that they would, they would go out into the world just as you said, that they would go into the highways and byways, that they would compel people to come. And Jesus, that they would be a great discipling army here with us today, God, at, at Bethesda. Lord, that we would, we would not just say that discipleship motivated is something on our walls, a core value, but Lord, it would be engrafted in our hearts. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would empower believers in this place to go out and be witnesses for you, Jesus. Lord, that as they go into those workplaces, Lord, as they go into the, the, the places that they go on a weekly basis, even the grocery store, God, Lord, that they can make a disciple, even if it's just a few words every week, God. 
embolden them to speak up for you. Lord, if they're afraid and they're locked behind closed doors, just like the disciples were in Acts chapter 1, God, I pray for an experience today, Lord, that you would empower them today, Lord, to go out into the very streets and proclaim Jesus' name. That we would be bold witnesses for you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Won't you look at the person ever side of you and just look at them right now and say, I think God's calling you to be a discipler. Amen. I believe God's calling you to be a discipler. Hear me, Debo? Somebody you know, somebody you come in contact with needs to hear what you know about Jesus. You haven't been wasting the last three years of your life sitting here hearing these stories for nothing. Share them. Same thing, you guys. Jason wants to be a pillar of the community. I'm telling you, the way to be a pillar of the community is tell people about Jesus. He contacts people that I'll, I'll never be able to reach, but Jason, you can reach them. God empowers you to. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer, we'll be glad to pray with you. But most of all, I'd like to see everybody have a big hug-a-thon and just hug as many people as you can before you go. Tell them how much you love them.